Amen. Amen. Can you hear me okay? Amen. It's a wonderful, wonderful honor to be with, with all of you here tonight. Um, as, as my brother said, I am the son-in-law of Andy and Ruth Lovell, and it's wonderful to be able to actually travel back over here. It's been a year and a half since we've been able to come last. The Lovells have not been able to come over for different reasons and immigration and rules, and we've been living in a crazy world for a long time, but the past year and a half, two years since COVID and all those things has brought a lot of difficulties for a lot of families that are across the pond and, and across the world. And I'm very pleased and very excited to be able to share with y'all tonight just God's work. And there was a lyric here, it says, I wandered so aimless, my life filled with sin. And that just so captures my life. Um, I've entitled this testimony and presentation of the gospel, The Fatherless Are Found. And can you understand me okay? Yeah. You can tell I'm from County Down, right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> the Fatherless Are Found. So I've got my two boys, Ezra and Leland, there, and I take it so seriously that I get to be their father. And it's such an honor. The things I get to do, I get to kiss them on the mouth and have no shame for that. I tear up and I cry at children's music, and I take no shame of that whatsoever. None whatsoever because I value it, because that was not there for me in my life. So whether another grown man in whatever culture or whatever place would say whatever he'd like to say, I'll still kiss my little boys on the lips as long as I can, because I treasure the fact that I get to be their father, and that they were given to me, even though they're two little whippets, as I've heard that people are calling them little greyhounds full of energy. You know, I grew up in a single mom home. My dad left my mom for another lady when I was about eight months old. He moved about two hours south um, in my state of Louisiana. And he, I, I thanked him for one thing. He was so faithful to come and get me every other weekend. I don't know what it's like here whenever parents divorce um, with shared custody, things like this, but he would drive two and a half, he did construction. He would dig holes, he would climb poles and put up the fiber things like this for years, and he would get in his little pickup truck, he would drive two and a half hours north, he'd pick me up and he'd drive two and a half hours south again. Stay with him and Sunday he'd do the same thing. So I give honor to him and respect to him for those things. He paid child support. I give honor and respect to those things and he was always very kind to bless me with great gifts. But in between those things, the weeks in between those things as the years passed, there just wasn't that relationship there. And that creates a great hole in a person's life. A great, great hole. My mom was working two jobs. I was left with babysitters a lot. And um, being left alone with babysitters or alone in general as a child, they call them latchkey children in America, where often a parent will go in the morning, you go to your bus stop, you get home, and there's no parent there. And it is infinitely worse now, the exposure to things that a child would have, access to the internet, TV, things like this. Well, plenty of that came into my life, being left with different babysitters and such. I was taken advantage of and abused in different ways as a child by different people. I was exposed to deeply corrupt material even by the age of 10, by something left in a TV by a stepfather. Things that no adult or anyone should ever be exposed to. But whenever you live a life without protection, whenever you live a life without a strong hand of guidance, how can you not be corrupted? How can you not be ruined? How can you not be destroyed? If there really is a God of this world, if there really is a spirit of the air, He doesn't care what ditch you fall into, whether it be the ditch of religion 
or to the ditch of drugs. He doesn't care as long as you fall into a ditch. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter the name. It doesn't matter what it is. All He cares is that you don't follow Jesus and that you don't walk as a disciple of Him. Many shows, many movies, many things. But praise God, I was also exposed to Jesus. My mom was lost, but she was faithful to pay her tithe. She was, come on, I mean, that, how many church people don't give to the Lord? Honestly, something falls hard on them and they don't honor the Lord. But my mom, a lost woman, would honor Him in that. She had that amount of respect, that amount of fear for the Lord. She brought us to the local Baptist church, and though it would have been more of what I call a country club church in the sense of, hey brother, how you're doing, and kind of more watered down, there were kernels of truth that found their way into my heart. I remember she would sometimes read to me from a children's Bible, and I can still see the picture of Adam and Eve, and I loved all the animals. There was this big black gorilla in it, I can see. Or as you go forward in the book, there's the page in this big ark of Noah. I remember these things. So though my mother was lost, praise God, I guess it's because I grew up in the south of the United States, which is the Bible belt. It's not much of a Bible belt anymore, maybe a Bible string. But it was because of that that there was influence there. I went to vacation Bible schools, these week-long things that we have. I'm, I'm sure you have them here as well. I'm not sure 100% of the culture, Bible clubs, things like this. The boys versus the girls raising, raising pennies for missions. And who can memorize the Bible verse, the fruits of the Spirit, and all of these things. Things were finding their way into my heart. Though the world was trying to corrupt and ruin and bring me to hell, God was working behind the scenes, which is why we should never mark anyone off, no matter how vile, no matter how wicked they look. We have no clue the investment that God has been making behind the scenes in their life. Hallelujah. He's wonderful, and He is truly worthy to be saved. I also had grandparents. They were the greatest stability of my life. My grandfather, Delson, and grandmother, Geraldine. Whenever I see Mr. Andy with Ezra, I think of myself and my grandfather. Whenever I walk into his tool shed, I smell the tool shed of my grandfather. Oil and gas and rust and tools and things like this. Wood shavings. Those were the greatest memories of my childhood. Being with my grandfather, going to the garden with him during the summer, not calm enough to be inside the house with my grandmother, so sent out with my grandfather to do little projects here and there. And it was wonderful. He did not love Jesus. In fact, he was an enemy of Jesus. But he loved me. And even though he did not love and did not care for Jesus, he was a good man, he said, but he is not the Son of God and he is not God. I was still given a Bible by my grandparents whenever I was about 10 or 11 years old. And my mom, who worked for the Louisiana Baptist Convention at the time, though she was a lost woman, it's amazing how those things can work out sometimes. My mom told me, you know, I've, I've heard, Andrew, that in the book of Revelation, that there's, a, there's like a gift. There is something waiting for them in heaven. There's something special that God has for those who read that book. So at the age of 10 or 11, I read through the book of Revelation. Didn't understand very much, but God was doing something in my life. I remember getting on my knees as a child around that age, begging God not to let me go to hell. Begging God not to let me go to hell. Please, Jesus, please don't let me go to hell. I was afraid of flames. I was afraid of torment. But that was just a fleeting moment. I had no clue or understanding of what it really meant to trust Jesus. 
I do remember one time, though, maybe about Ezra's age. It was an Easter Sunday. I was laying down on the pew, and he was preaching the gospel in that church. And it got in my heart. Something got in there. Another seed. Another seed. Praise God. But then the dark ages, as I like to call them, set in for my life. It was my teenage years. And just like any other teenager, very selfish, very self-centered, right? You're trying to figure out who you are. In any other age, the teenage years wouldn't have existed much. You just would have gone straight into womanhood or manhood. That's why we tend to have attitudes at that time. Because we are very much, in a way, in olden days, built at that moment to begin being who God has made us to be. But in our culture today, we're still trying to figure that out in so many ways, and that's just the time that we live in. But I was busy with selfishness. I began to be addicted to the very things I was exposed to as a child. I feared God in some ways, but I was empty. I was lost. I was purposeless. I don't know if you call it a buoy, a buoy, or what you call it, but I was like one of those things in the sea tossed around to and fro with no direction whatsoever in my life, just living from day to day, not really clear what was what. My mom was so busy with her own life. She was married to a man who was abusive to her physically and emotionally. And that lasted seven short years, but it didn't give me a very good idea of what a father was really like in the day-to-day. It didn't. I remember going to a youth retreat during those dark ages, and I remember being so convicted by the Holy Spirit. I went down to the youth pastor and I said, these are the things, these are the sins that I'm convicted of, and I'm coming to you. I don't know what to do. He put his arm around me and said, let me pray for you. I wish, no fault perhaps to his, I wish he would have asked me, are you born again? Do you know Jesus? Let's talk for a minute. Because my heart was so ripe at that moment. I was so convicted. But it would have to wait several years more. Then that greatest ability I had, my grandfather, my grandmother died summer after summer. My grandmother died the year before I completed secondary school, what we call high school. And I began to binge drink as much as I could afford with my friends, which wasn't very much. I began to be very depressed, but the depression came out as humor. I was Mr. Funny Man. I had never been funny, never had a good sense of humor. But suddenly that final school year, I was so funny. I was just so funny. I feel like those comedians on the stage are probably some of the most hurt, abused people. And they deal with their pain like that. That's, what, that's the way I dealt with my pain and frustration and hurt of all these things in life. My grandmother died of a brain tumor and heart cancer. Lung, well, excuse me, lung cancer as well. Then the following semester, following summer, whenever my grandfather died, he just let himself go. He didn't want to live anymore. So he died, and I remember I had moved down south to Baton Rouge, a couple hours south. I was going to attend university in the fall in the capital of Louisiana, and my father came, and he sat that July morning, mid-morning. He came and sat down on the bed next to me because I was living with him, and he said, I just want to tell you, Andrew, your grandfather's died. I was emotionless. I didn't cry till the funeral, but that sent me into a deep, deep, deep depression. I would get on the bus to go to my classes at school, and I would just look at my feet. I was far away from every friend. Remember, I was a buoy. I was just being tossed around. I didn't have any direction. But now the very one who I used to garden with, the one who I used to go out and look at the cucumbers and tomatoes, and he'd say, hasn't it grown since this morning since we looked at it? It is. I'm not lying to you. You know, that, that man in my life, it was gone. It was gone, and I was depressed. Hurricane Katrina that you may have heard of hit Louisiana. Everything changed, but in that, God was still moving. You may not like the books, but I don't really care. 
all I know is this Left Behind series, there are 12 books in it. And my father, even as a lost man, had all 12 in a stack at the back of the room. A lost man. So I'd come in from work 10 or 11 o'clock at night and I'd begin to read. And I read all 12. Oh, probably two or 3,000 pages within three or four months. God was drawing me. I was listening to you know, music on the radio, Christian music. I couldn't understand even why I wanted to. But I remember one time saying, oh, I don't even like this music. It's not that good. Why do I want to listen to it? But there was light there. And God the Holy Spirit was drawing me to Jesus. Using everything he could. A, lo- a saved co-worker who said, if you're lost, you are going to go to hell. And challenged me. And I told him, I don't believe you. Until one night, finally all alone in the bar area of Baton Rouge. I was in the apartment living with my brother because the hurricane had kind of tossed me out of my dad's house. Others needed to stay there. And I just felt conviction come upon me. And I got on my hands and my knees, and I prayed the most eloquent prayer of salvation you had ever heard. Just take it all, Jesus. Just take it all. That's all I said. That's all I knew to say. But immediately, conviction and joy both entered into my life. I would, I'd be driving to work late, and I would just be singing and praising Jesus. And I had this connection to God that I had never had. I had been born again. I didn't know what it was called. No one was there to disciple me. No one was there to lead me or to guide me in that moment. But I remember this joy, and I'd pray for a parking spot, and I'd find out and say, Thank you, Jesus, find a parking spot, even though it was late. And conviction, whenever the same sins that I had been involved in all this time, Now it wasn't just shame of someone else seeing your life. It was, oh, 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 wow, I offended you, but you're there. This is amazing. This is awesome. I have a relationship with you, God. God sent friends into my life, people who brought me to a church. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit about a year later, brought out of bad relationships, brought to a place of humility, Shown my need. I remember, uh, if you know Pastor Lee Ship, I attend First New Testament Church there, have the honor to serve there as well. And I was with a friend. I was going to the young adults retreat to the beach, and we hit traffic. And then my friend just so happened to have the revival hymn. And he pushed the CD in, and for the next hour and a half to two hours, I listened to, You met God in Meadow and Moorland. And just conviction pouring into my life through this, even as not living well as a believer. But God was using all these things in my life. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. I met my, I was set free from Adderall, if any of you know what that is. Whenever you have a mom and she's single and you're a child who's full of energy and you can't pay attention in school, one of the things they do is they put you on medicine to calm you down. What else do you do whenever you're a mother whose life is and ruins herself? Desperately trying to raise a child. Five years old, I was put on it. was on it until I was 20. Never knew how to focus without it. I remember coming off of it, and and the day was actually like blurry. I couldn't focus. It was crazy, but it's a methamphetamine, and I was on it for 15 years, medically prescribed. God crippled me even there, taught me how to rest in Him, and I remember the night at First New Testament, coming down to the altar, and God convicted me of a deep sin. You know what it was? Laziness not to study for school. Came off of that, I didn't want to study because it took effort. And I remember wrestling, literally, with God, 15, 20 minutes in the altar, finally saying, yes, God, I'll give you that part of my life too, because He wants every part. And you know what happened? My grades were amazing. 
My grades were amazing. And that's just one more testimony to who he is as a king and what he does in a person's life and how he transforms. And maybe to you it means nothing. But when you don't even know how to pay attention for 15 years and God does that in your life, it means everything because he wants every single part. He is wonderful. I have had the honor of being married to Leah. Lovell used to be, now Wilkes, for nine years. I met her soon after starting to go to First New Testament. She fell in love with me the moment she saw me. <laughs> that in itself is a miracle which I don't have time to go into. I've had two sons, provisions of a God, loss of a baby last November, body of believers supporting us, miraculous home, called and ordained to be an associate pastor. All of these wonderful things after he spoke it to my heart years ago. But what's most important to me is this, a daily walk with a loving Savior. He is wonderful. He is beautiful. He is perfect and holy. And on the theme of kissing, if you read Psalm 2, it says, kiss the son lest he be angry. And I know that speaks of kissing his ring in a way of loyalty. But you know the way I kiss my sons and love them, I think the Lord desires to be so affectionate and a father unto each one of us. It was about a year and a half ago, I was confronted by God the Father. I like to get to church early where I work, 6.30, 7 o'clock sometimes on Friday mornings because the kids are at home, Leah's at home, everyone's resting, not as many people in the office, it's quiet time, I get to be there. And I remember feeling so broken, closed my office door and I could not figure out why. I just felt led to look up scriptures about God as a father and I began to weep. And I began to break, and I began to mourn this fatherlessness, this vacuum where my needs had been met by my father admirably. He worked so hard, but this other aspect that I had never had. I wept, and I found music that spoke about God as a father, I began to pray in my tongues and rejoice and worship him, and weep and read scripture and rejoice and weep and mourn. But God was reaching this part in my heart. He was healing. He was God the Father, but He was becoming so real to me in a way that I had never experienced before. It was wonderful. It was healing. It was excellent. And since that time, I can mark a change in my life, even as a believer or someone who is called a minister, or my heart was dealt with and helped. And I'm still getting to know Him as Father God. But my goodness, that is an Ebenezer in my life that I look back on. And so in my testimony, I want to speak to you, the lost and the saved. Out of Psalm 68, 5 and 6, if you read there with me. Psalm 68, 5 and 6. Well, now back up to verse 4, it says, and I'll let you get there. Sing unto God, sing praises to His name. Extol Him that rides upon the heavens by His name, Jah, or the Lord. And rejoice before Him, a Father of the fatherless. A Father of the fatherless. A judge of the widows is God in His holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. And if you do not walk with Jesus tonight, you are dead in chains. 
But you don't have to be. You don't have to be alone. It is called a body of Christ. He calls, we call one another brother and sister, and though we may be imperfect people who offend one another constantly, yet when we are saved vertically, we are put into a family horizontally. You don't get to choose this family, but I tell you it's an honor to walk with one another. With all of our differences of opinions and issues that we may all have, we are set in a family and we need one another you may be bound in chains of homosexuality, secretly porn addiction, gambling. How about jealousy and covetousness? Things that are not often brought into play whenever we think about the dark, wicked deeds that people may be bound to. One only has to flick on Instagram to go through the feed to realize the envy and the covetousness that lies within our flesh as we see these cookie-cutter perfect lives that everyone else has. And we begin to feel the, our want or need for things that just don't seem to exist for ourselves. You might just be doing your own thing. Simply disobey your parents. And you have booked yourself a ticket to a place of everlasting punishment. We are all in that place. All of us guilty before God. All of us in need of a Savior. But praise God, Jesus, He bridged the gap. Calvary was the bridge of that gap. Though we were lost... Yet He has come to find each one of us, not to condemn us if we will turn to Him. He is on the judgment seat at the end of days. But we can meet Him now and kiss the ring of this great King. Today, whenever we are celebrating the Queen of England, her platinum, her platinum years, 70 years, how wonderful, it's been fun. My kids are 50% British, they get to enjoy it as well. And I'll stand in honor of the Queen as well, she's a great lady. But I get to kneel before this King and kiss His ring with my loyalty, my heart, my, my affections, and my trust. And I can be born again. You are chosen not to be an orphan. It says, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him. The world knew Him not. He came to His own, and His own received Him not. The very people who were His kinsmen, according to the flesh, rejected Jesus. He just didn't look the way they wanted Him to look. But you know what it says? To those that believed on Him, He gave the power to become the sons and the daughters of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. There is a Father who waits on you. You are that prodigal. You could put yourself in that picture, and the Father is literally running. And people don't like that picture some, because they think it makes God look disgraceful. I guess they forget that He stretched His arms out naked, in front of tens of thousands of other Jewish people on a cross during a festival. Everyone's come in to see the queen. Everyone came, all the Jewish males, for the festival that was going on, the Passover in Jerusalem. And there he was with no beautiful loincloth to cover him in dignity, but in utter, complete indignity, exposed before all. He has come running for you to set you free from chains. He's come to give you spiritual birth and to God's family, offered to you lovingly to be your father, not one who will abuse you, not one who will neglect you, and not one who's going to treat you coldly or simply pay the bills. Because so many times I treated God this way. I treated Him based on who my father was. I believe that you can do these things, but I don't want to ask you. I don't want to ask you. Because... I feel like there might be some strings, or it might make me reliant on you. 
I began to treat him the same way, and perhaps you were abused, neglected, or just ignored and treated like you weren't very much. But that is not who God the Father is. Let him reveal himself to you tonight if you know him. And if you are lost, I do beseech you to let him adopt you into his family. You need only to do what Jesus said, what he declared. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repent and believe the gospel. What will it cost me? What will it cost me to have this? Everything. It will cost you everything. Jesus said this, what does it cost to follow him? It's not simply profession from our lips. It's not simply get out of jail free card or something like this. It is this. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. That means your death. Because let's face it, even if your life seems pretty good right now, it really is not that good. I can assure you, I thought that my life and all of my depression and my drinking, being the craziest wild one, and all of my friends, I thought I was living it. But I was living on a ragged edge. A ragged edge between hope and pain. Hoping that this drink would give me joy. But the pain right underneath, that thin veneer of falsehood, all I needed for it to be done is tapped and broken. Like one of those chocolate eggs except inside was poison for my life. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. But what I have gained in this Father, in this brother named Jesus, and this comforter and friend called the Holy Spirit, and this triune God is worth everything. It's absolutely worth everything. And if you will let him, single moms, broken middle-aged men, young people, if you will invite him now and privately into your quiet times to meet those needs that are there, that maybe you have hardened yourself to and that's just the way things are, he will show himself to be excellent, beautiful, wonderful, and just, if I could say it this way, a gorgeous father. I don't know what other word to say. Just beautiful in every single way. I have found him to be that and I do invite you to let him be that to you. Amen. Amen.